all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. All right, guys, we are back in the saddle again here at Southern Remedy for Women. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens. Dr. Allie Brown is out of the studio today um, getting her COVID vaccine. Um, She's the second of the hosts of this show to get her vaccine. Um, If you're not first, you're last. No, I'm just kidding. Um, And so hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to her a little bit about her experiences if she has the opportunity to, um, to call in a little bit later. But we also are joined today by uh, Dr. Ben Brock, who's an associate professor of internal medicine and infectious disease. They are the hottest ticket in town at this point in time and probably have been since about March. Um, So he has generously decided to come in and give up his time and his expertise to talk to you all and uh, to give us some information about this COVID vaccine. Um, There's been a lot of talk about it, um, a lot of anticipation I think there's been just as much excitement as there may have been skepticism and concern. Um, As I mentioned, I did get the vaccine. um, And so here's the deal. You guys know I'm I'm real honest with you all. Um, I am a doctor and I am a vaccine person. I am a big proponent of the vaccine. I think vaccinations are great. They save lives and they help stamp out disease. Um, But I will say that I had a little hesitation about this this one. this time. And I think it's probably the first time in my life that I've ever been a little hesitant about a vaccine. And I think it's just because of um, the rapidity with with which it was brought to the market and all of those things um, kind of made me a little hesitant. Um, So this one pushed me outside of my comfort zone. I'm going to be honest with you. And that might not be the politically correct thing for the doctor to say. I'm supposed to say, everybody, go get the vaccine. But I'm going to tell you, I was nervous. Um, But that being said, I I did get it this morning, um, the first of my two doses. And um, and my arm didn't fall off. I'm feeling fine. Um, So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But first, I'd really like to take the time to introduce um, my guest. Dr. Dr. Brock, Jim, are you, uh, I'm sorry. Ben, are you there? Hi, Michelle. Okay, great. Awesome. I, I saw the little mute button. I was like, oh my gosh, I hope he's going to be able, people will be able to hear him. So we are so glad that you um, decided to come on uh, today, especially with this being, I'm sure this has been a really exciting week for you guys in infectious disease. Um, I know you and several members of your division have kind of spearheaded the dissemination of the vaccine amongst the employees at UMC since we um, kind of were, had the opportunity to be among the first in line to receive it. Um, And so um, first of all, though, I'd like for you to take just a few seconds and introduce yourself to our listening audience, because I don't think that you have ever been on um, a guest for us at Southern Remedy. Is that correct? Only morning edition. I got it. First time on Southern Remedy. Well, they know that we we usually bring our friends. And so um, so Ben's a friend of mine and we have several things in common. And I'm really glad that um, that you 
you were able to come on. So hopefully we'll get to have you back on several more times. But first of all, just kind of tell them a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I'm at the University of Mississippi Medical Center as well. Uh, I've been on staff there for almost six years now. Uh, again, I've trained in internal medicine and pediatrics and then did a fellowship in infectious disease, adult infectious diseases after that. Uh, my primary interest uh, is in HIV and STDs, although general infectious diseases is also a, a practice of mine. And I suppose I've been uh, a willing COVID expert for the last year, so as, as have we all. Kind of nice how you fall into a new, you deter, determine a new area of, of expertise kind of based on need, right? I, well, um, ID is fun in that regard uh, because our diseases are always changing, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I, something I, new. I think about just how recently, like, for example, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about Zika, right? And that's something right. that, you know, for most of us in in the continental United States, we never really thought that much about it or worried that much about it. And then all of a sudden, you know, yeah. there's like this whole, a whole focus on Zika virus and, and some of the concerns around that. So you guys have kind of been on the hot seat for the past few years, I guess. Uh, yeah, so... I, that's certainly nothing new, although globalization and uh, travel has certainly uh, changed the, the rapidity with which certain illnesses can travel across the globe. And likewise, I'll, I'll note for you comment about Zika and chikungunya, things like climate change have affected uh, infectious diseases because things like mosquitoes start to that live in the tropics start to head north when the world warms. So mm -hmm. yeah. uh, can I, I briefly want to touch on your comment about uh, your vaccine hesitancy. And it turns out that vaccine hesitancy is a normal thing for all vaccines, not just this one. Uh, I think this is the vaccine that has had the most attention of any vaccine in the past. So the whole world is um, is waiting with bated breath and paying a lot of attention. Vaccines don't normally get this much media attention. Uh, but if you recall when the Gardasil uh, vaccine came out, a lot of parents decided not to vaccinate their children. And um, decades later, we are still trying to increase the rates of HPV vaccination um, just despite the well-documented safety and effectiveness of the Gardasil series to prevent um, HPV infection and cervical cancer, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we look, you said HPV, and I think a lot of our listeners know we've talked about HPV from head to toe because we've talked about how it contributes to oral cancers and throat cancers and also, you know, cervical cancer and cervical dysplasia and even some of the less common uh, like squamous cell carcinoma of, of the penis and how it can affect men. So we we have talked about um, HPV quite extensively and have talked about how amazing it is that you have a vaccine against what can be a sexually transmitted infection, but can definitely be spread in other ways. Um, and that also could be a vaccination that could prevent or lower cancer risk, which is not something that we have very many of. So yeah, very yeah. special and really important. Um, so you talked to us about your training, but okay, so there are a few other things that the listening audience needs to know. So we need to know where you're from, and we need to know what your football team is. <laughs> we can start talking about the COVID vaccine. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm from Macomb. Um, I went to Millsaps, so we didn't really – we do have a football team, but, you know, we're a small college. So um, sports kind of play second fiddle, unfortunately. I <laughs> uh, I, I, this is Saints country, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's an acceptable answer. Look, good answer. Good answer. <laughs> we'll take that. 
<laughs> All right. So um, tell me a little bit about what you have experienced. I, so when I went in this morning um, in the employee uh, vaccination area, the UMC uh, vaccination area, it was not at all what I expected. Um, it was a, it was almost like a party. Um, people were excited. They were enthusiastic. They were very positive. Um, it wasn't a really tense thing. It was, it was very pleasant um, and very organized and structured just in how the vaccines were being administered. So that was something that I noticed and that I was really pleasantly surprised about. Um, I, I don't like injections in general. I'm a needle kind of phobe. So I have my own little issue of concern whenever it's time for me to get any injection. Um, but I found that that environment was a little bit more relaxing for me. And to see so many people kind of who were who were on board with this, who were excited about the opportunity of getting this little extra layer of protection, which we've been without as we've been fighting this fight over the course of the past um, almost year, um, it was something that like helped to reaffirm for me um, that this was the right thing and the important thing. Um, but yeah, I the, you are right. There's a there's been a lot of discussion about the vaccine, a lot of excitement around it, and I was I was just really concerned about how quickly it came to market. Um, there are plenty of medications that we've used and have been used that have accelerated approval by the FDA. That is not unusual. Um, but it was just a little strange, I think, to hear it from a vaccine standpoint. Um, however, Can I explain yeah. briefly why that went out so fast. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, so, I think it's great for people to hear that. But the other part is I totally understand the why. And I think that yeah. that's something that people need to hear. Yeah. So, you know, technology continues to evolve. Uh, we only sequence the human genome. Uh, you know, that that project took years to sequence the human genome. Now we have the technology to sequence uh, DNA in no time. So the uh, the coronavirus vaccine, or sorry, the coronavirus uh, genome was sequenced very quickly. I believe it was sequenced before the end of December last year. So we already had the, and uh, because of sh uh, scientific sharing, uh, the, the DNA sequence of the virus was shared uh, globally um, at that time whenever it was sequenced. Awesome. And uh, Moderna, who is develop, who is developing one of the two vaccines that is slotted for approval uh, through the emergency use authorization, they had their mRNA vaccine already produced uh, a few days after it was sequenced. And that's because technology, yeah, I know it's, it's crazy to think that this Moderna vaccine has been around since 2019. Wow. They were, they were able to create that mRNA strand uh, with five days after they received the sequence. And that's because Moderna has been working on mRNA vaccines for several years. Uh, and so they had that technology already, that, that kind of um, the technology needed to be able to develop a vaccine like that fairly quickly. So, wow, that is uh, awesome. What, what takes really long time is human trials. So uh, human studies are, are uh, labor intensive and you have to follow up people for a while after you administer a vaccine to make sure that it's safe and effective. And uh, and there are multiple phases, phase one, two, three, and, and then post-marketing monitoring, which we're in now. Uh, the phase uh, three study for Moderna and several other vaccines started in the spring, right? So, so it just takes a long time to do these studies. However, because we're in a pandemic, uh, one of one of the um, 
if you want to say a positive of this, is that there are so many cases of coronavirus right now that it's easy to reach the end of a clinical study because the outcome, which is a case of COVID, uh, is occurring at such a high rate that yeah. um, they're really able to easily, they're able to follow people up for only two months and have enough cases of COVID to be able to say that the vaccine works better than placebo. Well, that's great. And I think that that's really important, or at least it was really important to me. Um, and I would assume that, you know, even for those people who aren't health professionals, that they would be concerned. I mean, there was a lot of discussion about the vaccine happening and our experiences just hadn't been that a vaccine could come to market. But pointing out those unique circumstances that kind of created the opportunity for us to see an acceleration I think is really important and hopefully helping people to feel a little bit more comfortable about the, the, the reliability of the science and the fact that the process, they could still have faith in the process. I want to give that number out one more time. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 Or you can always email us to women at mpbonline.org. So um, then I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. You mentioned the, the Moderna um, vaccine, but there, so the one that um, was shipped first um, is the is the Pfizer vaccine. Um, what exactly, if any, are the differences between the two vaccines? Well, those two are both m uh, mRNA vaccines, so they work a little differently. And mRNA vaccines are new. Um, there are sixty three vaccines when I checked this morning that are in various stages of development. And uh, these two are uh, both mRNA vaccines. So they are a strand of nucleic acids. How that works is a little different in that traditionally vaccines are either a virus that's been inactivated, killed, or uh, a virus that's alive and doesn't just work as well. So it doesn't cause a normal infection. In this case, they're just giving you a little strand of RNA and your body produces the protein inside of, uh, after the injection, your, your body produces protein out of that RNA strand. Uh, and then uh, the protein is what causes the immune system to react and, and make antibodies. So it's a so, little different process. Right. So when you say RNA, that is that is the genetic information that has the the genetic code, if you will, that tells our bodies how to produce different proteins, substances and all of those things. Yeah, um, specifically the spike protein on the virus. Yep. That uh, that is one of the two main antibodies that we test for when we test for antibodies. I think spike might be trending this week because um, that's kind of one of the where everybody. So if you hear about that spike protein, so there, I'm sure there are concerns because um, you know with with the push or rush of information, there's also a lot of misinformation that comes out with it, right? Like I think they go hand in hand now. Um, so as you're, as we're trying to sift through um, the what is really accurate versus what's inaccurate. There's some concerns about um, whether or not the virus actually, like whether the vaccine actually takes the viral um, genetic information and that genetic information becomes a part of our own genome. Like that's out there, right? They're, this, they're uh -huh. putting an MRA into our bodies and it becomes part of our own bodies. Can you explain kind of, whether that's true or not, we're myth, we're we're going to be sure. all about the facts and and kind of dispelling some myths here. 
Sure. Yeah. So there are multiple different types of DNA and RNA. It's sort of a downstream um, cascade. So our chromosomes have DNA. Our, uh, we make RNA out of that DNA, and then the RNA is converted into proteins. Uh, so it, there's kind of a one-way street there. This messenger RNA uh, does not integrate into the genome, which is DNA. That's that's backwards down. It's sort of upstream. And so, uh, so our body has the ability to convert this messenger RNA into a protein, but uh, the body does not convert messenger RNA backwards into DNA. Some virus, some live viruses do have the ability to uh, sort of go upstream, but uh, those viruses, um, HIV is an example of that, uh, that has the, it, it, the virus comes equipped with its own kind of toolkit to uh, not to follow the rules and to insert uh, RNA backwards. Uh, but but the human body doesn't do that, and this is not a full viral capsid with other proteins in it. So this is this is not a virus. This is just a little strand. Yeah. So it's just a piece of the information that would help our bodies to identify the virus, as opposed to before, where you'd have to actually have a whole component. You can just get a little piece of the genetic information, and then the body will identify what is coded in that piece of information. Um, and, so it's, and, and that's how you then create a level of immunity. Yeah, and viruses require multiple proteins to be able to form new copies of itself, too. So, uh, so when you get infected with a virus, it sort of dumps uh, multiple strands of DNA or RNA into your cell uh, to be able to make the apparatus that it, that it needs. So, so I, I think this is this is all really interesting. Um, I'm gonna. I think this is a great place for us to take our next break of the hour. Um, when we come back, we can delve a little bit more into who the people are who should get the vaccine, kind of what to expect when you take the vaccine. Um, and we again are still um, with open phone lines and we'll take your calls and your questions at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 I'm Dr. Michelle Owens here with Dr. Ben Brock and we are talking about the COVID vaccine. You know you guys want to know about it. You know you got questions. So don't be afraid. Give us a call and we'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
This is Southern Remedy for Women, and today we are talking about the COVID vaccine. I am here with Dr. Ben Brock, who's an associate professor of internal medicine and our infectious disease expert. And um, we are just kind of giving you guys some information about the new wave of vaccines that have that have hit the state and the country, um, taking us by storm. Um, we got another vaccine in the pipeline that is going to be also made available. And so um, we just wanted to give you guys a little bit of information and uh, kind of help answer your questions as we are addressing, I guess, the most significant pandemic of our lifetime um, with COVID. So again, just trying to remind everybody that even though the vaccine is now um, available, it is not yet widely available, but it's available. Um, we still have the responsibility of continuing to practice good hand hygiene, washing our hands, um, keeping surfaces clean, socially distancing whenever possible, and wearing our masks because the vaccine is not going to make COVID go away. It is just going to hopefully provide some very much needed protection. Um, but there are some behavioral things that we can do in order to protect ourselves. So just want to remind everyone um, that the vaccine is not a cure. Um, it is just one of many tools that we will ultimately need in order to prevail over this pandemic and to make sure that we're keeping each other safe. Um, before uh, we continue on with our conversation, we're going to go to our phone lines and hear from Charlotte, who is calling us from Cleveland. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning. Um, I'm in the category of uh, having asthma and defective heart valve, uh, and so I want to get vaccine but uh, also have anaphylactic food and drug allergies so for people who really need it but now they're saying right now it's not safe for those with bad allergies how will we know when it will be safe is that me that's you <laughs> yep so so yeah this this mrna vaccine should not contain any components that would put you at increased risk of a reaction the flu some of the flu vaccines do contain egg protein and so for people with severe anaphylactic reactions to egg components uh, they do have a couple of options for egg-free flu vaccines but there are no food components in the uh, Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine. So uh, your severe food allergies should not impact your candidacy. And uh, your lung and heart disease put you at increased risk for severe COVID. And so you would be somebody who would uh, be in an earlier wave of vaccine, a higher priority to receive it. Uh, so for um, patients who have, um, I guess, risk factors for severe COVID, uh, you're, you're much higher priority to receive it uh, uh, because uh, the, I guess both vaccines have been shown to decrease the rates of severe COVID. Okay, because on the national news, they said people with multiple drug allergies or uh, anaphylactic drug allergies shouldn't get it right away, so I, I wasn't sure. Yeah, it's one of those discussed with your healthcare provider. Uh, lines. So uh, these kind of decisions have to be individualized. We there there are no listed contraindications on the emergency use authorization for that. All right, thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much for your call, Charlotte. We're going to stay on the phone lines and hear from Ronnie calling from Olive Branch. Good morning, Ronnie. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you? Just fine. I had a question about uh, individuals that might have an autoimmune 
problem, uh, or I'm, I'm assuming that's right. My wife had had um, uh, illness many years ago, uh, and I can't think of the name of it, but where she, her body was paralyzed at, uh, for a while, and uh, and then she w- she's been concerned about what it would might possibly do for re causing that to start up again. Uh, Ronnie was I can't think of the name of it anymore. Was it after a vaccine? I don't remember what it was. I just know that she had been uh, uh, not completely, but somewhat paralyzed for uh, a year or so. Might uh, it be like Guillain? Does Guillain Barre sound familiar? That's it. That's it. That's it. Beyond. Okay. Yeah, that was the word. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. That's not an easy thing to remember, and it's not something you hear very often. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and so she the, had had it many years ago. So the I'm these sorry, two. Go ahead. Yeah, these two clinical trials in combination enrolled around 35,000 participants uh, in each arm. So uh, a total of about 70,000 people received these two vaccines in the clinical trial. No reported cases of Guillain-Barre occurred. Um, in the AstraZeneca trial, which is not one of these two vaccines, uh, it, may, it may be a bit further down, there was one case of transverse myelitis that caused the study to be uh, delayed temporarily, and then they proceeded. Uh, however, the, it's sort of the vaccine versus infection conundrum. So uh, with Guillain-Barre, with the flu vaccine, flu causes Guillain-Barre far more commonly than the flu vaccine. And so flu vaccine decreases the rates of Guillain-Barre by decreasing the rates of flu. Uh, there have been many sort of unusual uh complications of COVID. Those are mainly cardiovascular complications like stroke and heart attack. Uh, However, um, there have been some neurologic manifestations of COVID as well. So infections can cause sort of inflammatory and autoimmune conditions. Uh, And and so the COVID vaccine we would expect would probably decrease these complications that are attributed to COVID. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Ryan, thanks so much for your call. Thank you so much for listening. So, you know, I think that's really interesting because um, then I remember um, that was the thing with the big um, in like the in the mid to late 70s there when they did that huge. uh, There was a big flu um, outbreak and there was a lot of enthusiasm around this new flu vaccine that was supposed to specifically address the strain of flu that was wreaking havoc all across the world at that time. And um, they they did this mass outpouring of vaccinations. And then there were a lot more cases of Guillain-Barre that occurred after the vaccine. And so they pulled back for a while. Um, and some people have experienced Guillain-Barre after getting the vaccine, but it's so such small numbers compared, as you mentioned, to what it would what it's like when they actually have the flu. Um, as opposed to the vaccine in and of itself. And again, I think it speaks to the technology over years um, where we were using, whether it's live attenuated virus as opposed to um, now viral particles and now getting to the point where we're using more genomics as opposed to um, actual components of the virus in order to be able to address these infections. 
And, you know, vaccines are uh, developed to, to sort of stimulate the immune system. And so when the immune system is stimulated, you get symptoms like fatigue or a low-grade fever. And in these clinical trials, other than pain in your arm where you got the shot, which, you know, all shots can't hurt. Uh, yes, they uh, do. All shots you know, hurt. Then all shots do hurt. Okay, I'm just going to say that. And I'll yeah. let you go. You know, in, the, in, in both of these trials, which were large trials, over half of people got some kind of inflammation symptoms like low-grade fever or feeling fatigue. They were usually really short-lived. Uh, they were all, almost all minor and uh, serious adverse effects. You know, in, what, 70,000 vaccine recipients, uh, there were around 10 uh, serious effects. And when I read what they were, I don't know that many of these can be attributed to the vaccine. Actually, they just happen to have occurred, and some of them occurred in placebos. Uh, there were no vaccine-related deaths in the 70,000 vaccine recipients either. So Yeah, and as I was looking over some of the side effects of the vaccine, you know, you mentioned pain at the injection site or that local reaction, the soreness in your arm, which I don't know that I've received an intramuscular injection where I had zero soreness at all after receiving it. Um, sure. But... Um, you know, those things which you kind of, I think, would expect. Um, and then, as you mentioned, some of those sy systemic symptoms of fever or feeling tired or what have you. Um, but then the other one that I thought was interesting was the headaches. That, like, so many people, I think it's in one particular study, up to, I think, 50% of people complained of, you know, a headache. Not severe. Now, they did rate, rate them by severity, and it wasn't severe, but just that headaches um, were another thing that, came out of this. Um, and I thought, I was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Um, but I, of those, none of them I felt like were really horrible. I know there's a lot of conversation, a lot of concern about, um, the Bell's palsy thing. Let's talk about that real quick. Um, because that is something that, um, that I think is also a concern or I've seen on social media, it's been the thing that has been the most, like it's been publicized. And I want to say that there were like four patients that they actually had photographs of that, that had Bell's palsy, which is a facial nerve palsy. So it actually kind of renders one half of your face unable to really move. It's like unilateral facial paralysis. Um, and so that was something that I've seen, you know, cause I'm, I'm cruising the social media to see what people are saying and, and what kind of information's out there. And that's been one of the things that has really concerned a lot of people was the concern of this side effect of Bill's palsy or having something potentially be wrong with their face after they take the vaccine. So what do you have to say about that? Uh, it's controversial. Um, report, reportedly a few vaccine recipients developed Bell's palsy, um, Again, I think that time will tell in post-vaccine marketing. It's difficult to attribute side effects to vaccine, of course. Uh, these are these are things that are noted, but uh, post-vaccine mar marketing is being done. And so uh, as the vaccine is deployed in these subsequent waves, uh, side effects from the vaccine are going to be recorded. Uh, I've got an app on my phone to enter in my side effects, for instance. I think that one of the benefits as well of having um, waves of the vaccine go out as well is that as uh, healthcare providers and people in congregate settings that are either high risk for complications or exposure to COVID, uh, as, as these waves go out, uh, there will be more 
uh, people vaccinated and the general public can get some confidence in the safety of the vaccine over time uh, as as uh, people like healthcare workers step up and get the first doses. Yeah, and you know, sometimes you just kind of have to weigh the risks and the benefits. These are very small numbers. Um, you know, I had this, I had one of my friends kind of who, who was not enthusiastic about the vaccine um, kind of say, well, I mean, I don't want to get Bell's palsy. I said, well, heck, neither do I. But if you look at the mortality rate from Bell's palsy compared to the mortality rate for COVID, um, the truth is that even if you get Bell's palsy, you're not going to die. But if you get COVID, you might. So um, when you think about it that way, maybe an oversimplification. Um, but I thought, you know, if I had to think what's the worst thing that could happen, um, then for me, I felt like the protection that would be inherent would be better than, you know, the alternative. Um, and that being said, um, we have one caller. Sandra, I see you, but I have one quick question. Um, and the question is, um, well, never mind. I forgot my question. So I'm going to we're going to go ahead and <laughs> go to the phone lines and hear from Sandra. And hopefully that'll pop back in my head. Um, good morning, Sandra. Uh, good morning. Thank you uh, for your program. Uh, very informative. Uh, uh, I have a question and a comment. I'll go with the question first. What if, for whatever reason, uh, someone does not follow up and take the second uh, injection? Yeah, uh, so they followed patients for COVID cases after seven days after the first dose. And uh, protection was uh, apparent within a week of the first dose and increased over time, particularly after that uh, booster dose, which is three weeks after the Pfizer vaccine, four weeks after the Moderna. Uh, between the first and the second dose, protection was estimated to be around 50%. So there is some protection that you get early on after the first dose. Um, it, it will be challenging to track people. This is a very large scale vaccine uh, effort. And so tracking everybody and making sure that they get that second dose is going to be logistically really challenging. There's not a centralized database uh, to track people down and make sure they got it. And so we're using uh, it's up to the states for how for how this is rolled out. Okay, my comment, if I may. Okay, so it's been portrayed, uh, particularly about African Americans, uh, rather condescendingly, that many African Americans are, uh, you know, somewhat skeptical uh, about uh, getting it because of the you know, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, and that. Well, we as African Americans know that many of us are physicians. We have children who are physicians, so it's not that the the elephant in the room is that uh, this was rolled out, uh, uh, there's a lack of trust, in other words, because of the, the person who was in the White House who, uh, you know, vilified the CDC, vilified Dr. Fauci. Uh, and so people, I think, are hesitant, many people, uh, including some African-Americans, because they are waiting to see, you know, what the efficacy is, what the side effects are for people who are getting it first and then waiting. So I just wanted to inject that, that it's not so much that people doubt the science, is that, uh, you know, it, it was, it happened with such rapidity that many people are skeptical because of the person who was in charge, who was President Trump. Thank you. 
All right. Well, thank you, uh, Sandra, for those comments. I do believe that um, that there's probably a, comp a, a component of a lot. I think if you ask a lot of people, you get a lot of uh, varied answers. I do believe that there's a lot of mistrust um, when it as it pertains to the healthcare system um, within the African-American community, because at a time when that trust was freely given, um, there's well there are well-documented uh, times in which that was that trace that trust was um, taken advantage of or betrayed. Um, and so I believe that there is a there has to be a conscious process of rebuilding to occur in order for those wounds to heal. I mean, that's that is something that happened in our lifetime. Um, and um, so I do believe that the vestiges of the um, of taking advantage of vulnerable populations in the name of science, and that's not just with the African American community. There are many populations where those kinds of ethical violations have occurred. I believe that the scientific community still has work that needs to continue to be done and vigilance that needs to be expressed in order to address those concerns. Um, but the the way that we do that is by um, being transparent and by um, and by making the information readily available and making sure that we are reaching out to communities in order to address their issues and concerns in that regard. Um, and you know, again, I. I am. I have gone on the record many times in saying that public health issues are not political. Um, it health is health, and it shouldn't be politicized. Um, and so, whenever these conversations come up, I'm like, it's a public health issue, and we need to address it from a public health standpoint. Um, and there's not really a place for politics when it comes to um, the health and preservation of each and every one of us, because we all deserve that, regardless of our political. Um, alliances. That being said, our phone lines are wide open. So I am going to go on. Um, we are down to the last few minutes of our show. So I'm going to try to squeeze in all these calls. My Alabama folks are calling too. But first, we're going to hear from Alice, who's calling us from Macomb. Good morning, Alice. Good morning. I, I'm Mark. confused about this uh, bail policy. You're saying uh, about the uh, vac vaccine can cause the bail policy, but I ain't have no. Uh, Vaccine and nothing. The bear policy hit me April the ninth. Still having trouble with it. So I, I end up with bear policy April the ninth. Sure. So it, Bill, Bill's palsy is uh, what they call idiopathic for for the most part, which means that the cause is not completely clear, and it's you know it's an inflammatory condition uh, that may partly be to, due to the the body reacting to itself, uh, and there are a ton of different uh, conditions that can sort of set on Bell's palsy, and infections are one of those uh, viral infections. So yeah, and pregnancy is another one because I see it a lot in my pregnant women. Um, Michelle, if I can briefly point out as well regarding the earlier call that people of color over this last year have been disproportionately impacted both by COVID cases and by COVID-related deaths. And we also know that uh, African-Americans in America have less access to preventive services, including vaccination, uh, you know, along with cancer screening, access to primary care, et cetera. And uh, so not only it's, it's sort of a double-edged sword there where uh, there's historical Im uh, reasons for mis medical mistrust, uh, but at the same time, uh, we know that uh, 
people of color in America are, go are, are going to have probably less access to this vaccine uh, while carrying a disproportionate number of cases. Yeah, and I'm, the, I'm just like you. I got the little V-Safe app, and um, I am going to report any symptoms that I have so that there's more data, and hopefully that data will continue to be pushed out to the public so that those people are, who are in the waves after me will kind of benefit from whatever my experiences are, good, bad, ugly, or indifferent. At least they will be able to make the decision about vaccination for themselves based on even more information than I had access to. And I think that that's going to be really important that we do that for each other. Encouragingly, um, they, they actually did, uh, they looked at vaccine response rates for different subgroups too, like age and ethnicity, and they saw, saw almost identical response rates for the vaccine though. For, so whether you're an older adult or a younger adult, or whatever your racial or ethnic background is or gender, uh, very similar high rates of, uh, of efficacy. So I think that's encouraging for any, any individual that they should respond similarly to the general public. Awesome. Well, Alice, good luck to you. I hope that you have a wonderful holiday and that your Bell's palsy ends up resolving completely. The majority of them do. Sometimes they say it'll never go away. Yeah, occasionally, but that's the that's the the um, exception and not the norm. So have a good one. We're going to go on the phone lines and hear from Joe, who's calling from Mobile. And Debbie, I see you. You're up next. Good morning, Joe. Yes, hello. Good morning. Uh, I, I have been thinking about getting the, the vaccine as soon as it's available. However, I've been reading some material that very horrifying to me that uh, the vaccines are, uh, they use uh, the aborted fetus uh, to manufacture the vaccine. Now, I, I know that you probably are going to say, no, we don't. However, before I get vaccinated, I would have to have something in writing from whoever gives me the, and it has to be signed, not just, not just a, a piece of paper. I, I would have to have somebody's signature on it that is responsible. You think that's possible? From the drug manufacturer, I, I, it will be challenging for you to find information from your medical provider. You know, these are vaccines are going to be administered by your physician. So to, uh, to get information in writing from the pharmaceutical company is going to be a, a challenge. Although I, I will point out, be very careful where you get uh, any, any information uh, about, about health because uh, the internet is just fraught with misinformation and uh, there are some reliable sources, but, uh, but there are uh, just tons of, uh, sources for misinformation out there. So uh, everybody be very careful wherever you do get your health information from. I'd say reputable sources would be, for instance, CDC has an excellent uh, vaccine landing page uh, that, that has uh, information about vaccine, about all vaccines, including COVID now. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Um, we're going to stay on the phone lines and hear from Debbie. Debbie, we're down to the last couple of minutes, but I wanted to get a chance to hear your question or your comment. How are you? Okay. I'm okay. I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, real Great. quickly, and mine, mine is not a vaccine question, but it's a COVID question. My, my husband and I are in our 60s. We're getting together with our son and daughter-in-law at a condo in Gulf Shores for Christmas. They have both had COVID uh, in the summer. And he works from home, so he doesn't see a lot of people. She's a dentist, so she suits up all the time. But should we be more con should we cons be concerned mainly with just still masking up and six feet of distance kind of thing? 
who paid for the condo? Because uh, <laughs> that's who that's, that's who I would Christmas. say should that's go, and <laughs> the other the other no. stay home and have a Zoom call. But but yeah, so you're uh, this this is a really challenging decision for everybody uh, yeah. because you know Centers for Disease Control is recommending for everybody to uh, hone their inner Grinch and uh, st- and keep Christmas from coming. Right? Uh, yeah, I know. Decisions about family gatherings are really challenging. Uh, if you've had COVID before, you are probably protected to some degree from reinfection, although we know that reinfection can happen. Uh, you know, the, the same precaution recommendations stay for everybody, and we're not making any sort of exceptions for people who've had recovered COVID. Uh, cer- certainly, they can catch it again. And one of the biggest challenges is asymptomatic infection. How many people are walking around with it and don't know it? And that's why uh, the recommendations for social distancing is universal. Well, that is a great way to end this. Um, as you hear the music, that means that it is time for us to go. Ben, thank you so much for coming on to help make this timely topic available for our listening audience. Um, guys, you know that Southern Remedy is produced by Jay White. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens. Um, I want to give a shout out to my son. Happy belated birthday. Um, you're awesome. Thank you for giving me my most important job, which is being a mom. He's the first person to hire me in that role. And I love you, love you, love you. You guys, be safe this holiday. As Ben said, I know it's hard. We like to gather. Stay safe. Take care of each other. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Um, Socially distance and get your vaccine if you can. Take care. Southern Remedy um, for Women will be back next week. Same time, same place.